0: I want to talk about off the top is kind of an homage to you guys, because you know, one of the common running themes on this show is I'm constantly getting great recommendations from you guys of things I should check out. Even sometimes things I thought looked stupid and I was never going to watch doom patrol. And now I love it. Harley Quinn, the animated series had no interest. You guys kept telling me to watch it. I watched it. Now I love it. Add another one to that list for the last couple of days. A bunch of you guys have been telling me about this new show on Apple Plus with Jason Sudeikis called Ted Lasso. I had honestly, even before you guys, it's not that I was never intending on watching it. It's that I had never even heard of it till you guys started telling me about it. So yesterday, my wife, Ann and I, uh, we decided, oh, let's sit down and let's like watch the first episode of Ted Lasso. Let's sit down and watch the first episode of Ted Lasso. We binged every episode that there was. I think they were up to eight. We binged every single episode that they had so far of Ted Lasso. This show is delightful. You guys have got to try this Ted. If you have Apple TV+, Plus, I'm not sure it's a show that you get Apple TV+, Plus just for this one show, but you've got Morning Show, you've got uh, For All Mankind, uh, and now you've got this as well. This is a show worth checking out. It starts off, Rob, like the first episode... I was a little iffy on, I'll be honest. it's like, ah, this seems a little cliche. Seems a little bit silly, but it just really establishes the characters. And then once you get into episode two and three, I was hooked. Like I was absolutely hooked. It's charming. It's heartfelt. Like it's not a dark show, like, you know, Sons of Anarchy or Breaking Bad or whatever. It is just a charming, delightful, and most importantly, funny funny show now rob i was asking you before and if you had had a chance to check this out yet but but you haven't seen but have you seen any of the, no. the
1: marketing for it at all no i, I mean i vaguely you know i know that there, the show existed but i don't know anything about it beyond that so you bringing it up i mean look you turned me on to letter kenny one time you know and i, <laughs> I remember that it, i was like i don't what what is it called and then i was like that shit was the funniest stuff. I couldn't believe how funny that show was. And, you know, I guess not coming from Canada. So when, I, I, when you told me today that how much you love the show, that you binged it all, you were going to watch an episode. I'm like, OK, well, if you liked it, that goes to the top of the list. I got I to gotta check that out now.
0: Well, and more importantly than, than me liking it, it, it really is that I had so many people in the live chat telling me I really had to check it out. And again, the the first episode, it's cute. The first episode's cute. Don't get me wrong. It's not like the first episode's bad. But I watched the first episode. I'm like, okay, it's all right. I mean, it's it's charming. It's 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 got some laughs. It's pretty charming. All right. But really, is this what everybody's raving about? And then it built on all that. And I just loved it. So guys, I just wanted to start off today's show by really giving you uh, my wholehearted uh, recommendation of what a bunch of other people on this Uh, in the live uh, chat we're we're talking about, do check out Ted Lasso when you get the chance. I think you will be glad that you did. All right. With that down, let's do one more thing off the top. And the one more thing off the top is this. You know, there's a movie that's been in development and, and finally underway that has been the source of some controversy for some people. Some people think it sounds great. Some people think it sounds bad. A lot of other people just kind of taking a wait and see approach. And that's for the new Uncharted project. Now, Uncharted, you know, caused a bit of a stir at first because they cast Tom Holland. Tom Holland, who is very popular right now, but not the age or maybe the current image that a lot of people think of when they think of Nathan Drake, right? So some people liked the news, some people didn't like the news, what have you. Then Mark Wahlberg joined, which was interesting because for years... Mark Wahlberg was attached to be an Uncharted as Nathan Drake. But instead, now he finally joins this movie, but he comes in as Sully. Instead, he's going to play Sully. Well, the movie is now actually shooting. They've got this movie now up and running. It's actually shooting. And we've actually got our first kind of peek at, you know, the uh, Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg on set. These are obviously not official releases, but we see them in suits and all that kind of stuff. Now it should be it's interesting. if you look back at, I don't know if this is a direct connection or not, but if you look at Uncharted Four, Thief's End, where they really introduce young Nathan Drake, um, there's a scene in that where they kind of sneak into like some kind of art some kind of art uh, auction sort of thing where they get dressed up in that. I don't know if these pictures are direct relation to that that was in the game or if it's just a totally different thing altogether. But it's <clears> not the pictures you expect to see. You expect to see some jungle no. adventure going on, right? But these are the pictures. Remember, these are not officially released by the studio. These are just the pictures that somebody snapped on set and, and released. So it's kind of interesting. The big news to me here is just that the movie's officially shooting, Rob. I mean, that's, that's the thing. This oh, has yeah. been... This has been literally a seven or eight year journey to get this movie actually going and in front of the cameras. And now here it is. With yeah. it now shooting, I'm sure it's going to re-spark the debate about whether this is even a movie, you know, they should be making right now. I'm still of the belief that I like the casting of Tom Holland. Tom Holland is in his mid twenties. He's a terrific actor. I think going with somebody that young gives them a this is this is a guy who could play Nathan Drake for the next 15 years with without any problems, without any problems, he could play Nathan Drake for the next years. 15. For, for the <laughs> next, yeah, if you wanted to for the next 30 years, for sure. I just yeah. think it's going to be interesting. So uh, I think this is pretty cool. Rob, you see that this is a movie that after all the years of development and the director changes and the casting changes, like this is like eight years in the making here it is. Now it's actually shooting. What's your, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, you know, I actually am always happy to see these kinds of things because it means the producers, the studio, the actors, many people that carry the torch for certain projects that are passion projects or projects that really want to do. I love seeing that because it's far easier to scrap projects uh, after after a time, unless they're, you know, sometimes sometimes projects have been in development for so long. There's so much money against them that it becomes really difficult to actually put them into production because they've already been so expensive when nothing's been made. So it's really great to see this, this happen. I, and I love seeing, to me, these kinds of things are a win. I, I've told you before on the show, I love the Uncharted games. When I played the first Uncharted, it was the first video game I ever sat down, and I played it from beginning to end. It took me like 13 or 14 hours. I was so obsessed with the the characterization the storytelling, the cut scenes. I was so involved with the characters. Uh, It was like, it was the first time I felt like I was actually playing a movie. So I'm rooting for this movie, man. I want it to be great. I'm hoping it's going to be great. Uh, You know, the video game movie curse. It's not like we've ever really got a great one. But I think if there truly could be a transcendent great video game movie, this could be the one. I'm excited for this, man. I'm putting all my hopes and dreams into this film
0: (laughs) i i I agree i think out of all them that are out there right now uncharted is the best positioned to Mm. to truly break the curse i mean we've had some like the last tomb raider movie was actually not bad i I thought the last tomb the tomb raider movie just recently got a couple years ago i actually didn't think that one was all that bad which is glorious praise for cop for for video game movies i should say but I, I'm not going to get my hopes too high because there have been two other films that I was convinced twice before would be the film to break the video game curse. One was Assassin's Creed.
1: Yeah, me too. And,
0: and that is like an all-time awful movie, like an all-time awful movie. And then the other one that I was convinced was going to break the curse was Warcraft, which, by the way, the star Warcraft uh, from uh, Vikings is now in that. Uh, um show on HBO Max uh Raised by Wolves. He's one of the stars yeah. of that thing. But and I didn't I actually didn't mind Warcraft. There there are elements about Warcraft that did work for me, but me clearly too. not the movie that was going to break the curse. And So now we've got the next one up to bat, which is this one. do you uh, think one. that
1: is? Why John is it so hard <sighs> to translate a video game into a movie?
0: I think there there are t- my personal opinion is that there are are two things. One is the not as important thing, but one is just the art of adaptation. You know, I think sometimes we've seen filmmakers try too hard to, to force elements of the game into the movie that just don't work for a movie. And they right. kind of get lost in this battle of how do we please the fans of the game while also trying to figure out how to make a good movie when really they should just be focused on trying to make a good movie period. Cause that'll make everybody happy. Like winter soldier, uh, not winter soldier, um, civil war, captain America, civil war is a great example of that. Kevin Feige didn't worry about sticking true to the comic books at all. And they said, let's just make a great movie and keep the the same themes. And it made Mm. everybody happy. Winning cures everything. You put out a great movie, everybody forgives anything else. But I think the second reason is probably the most predominant reason. It's really hard for them to make a good video game movie because it's really hard to make a good movie at all. Uh, And and I think when you combine those two things – I mean, everybody, Kevin Feige has kind of ruined everything for a lot of people because Kevin Feige has made it look like it's easy. Like with the MCU and everything, everybody now just thinks, oh, it's easy to make a great video, a uh, comic book movie. Really? Because 40 years of Hollywood history would suggest otherwise. But I mean, that is the thing. He's kind of made it look easy. So I think when you look at the combination of it's the art of adaptation is very, very difficult combined with the fact that it's just hard to make a good movie at all, but Yeah, because you're talking about a genre that's like over 30 or or something like that. What do you see as being the main culprit of of trying to make like a really great audience critic, everybody beloved, uh, like video game property?
1: Well, it's interesting because, you know, I think people get caught up in the fact that it's actually a game when really they should just concentrate on the fact that it's a story. Like you could look at all of these games, the, the single play mode. It's a story. It's it's laid out, and if you forget that it's a game, and you just think of it as a story and go, okay, here's the beginning of the story. Here are the plot points. You know, you can go on YouTube. Somebody will have made a cutscene at a, a playthrough of it. So you 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 break it down and forget it's a game and just treat it like a story. And I think so often, like you pointed out, they're always trying to work in things about the gameplay and all that. And I'm like, that just doesn't. It's it doesn't work, I, and I think they they get caught up. It's it's kind of like, you know, the reason that comic book movies I think were so hard to adapt is because people looked at them as comic books first and stories second. Mm, they they great they, point. they didn't. They're like they're like this is just a comic book. It doesn't have to be realistic. We don't you know we don't have to make. That's why you got reb brown and captain america you know they, they the suits you go back and you look at like the Thor from the incredible hulk it's like no verisimilitude but once you take comic books and you think of them as the same kind of source material as say pride and prejudice a classic novel they're both stories and forget about the mediums they came from same and i think that's the problem with video game movies is they got they have to do what they did with comic books and treat them as stories and forget the medium they originated in because that's not a movie anyway so who cares take the story adapt the story nathan drake is a great character trust in that trust in the story and trust in the character as always
0: right Uh, i like what you're saying there all right guys question is What do you think about this? We've now got Uncharted is actually in front of the cameras. It is shooting. We got Mark Wahlberg, Tom Holland finally on set shooting it. What are your feelings about it right now? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's move into our first main topic today. And how do we select our main topics here in The John Campus Show? It's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by simply going anytime, 24-7. If you've got a big topic you think should be a main topic here, go to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. It's totally free. Fill it out, hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you may see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campius show with that down, let's get into main topic. Number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Paul Epstein and Paul Epstein writes, Hey, John and Rob slash Aaron. It's Rob today. (laughs) Uh, Where did we go here? Hey, John, Rob slash Aaron. Um, Very quickly, Taika Waititi has become one of my favorite filmmakers in the world. Me too, man. Between what we do in the shadows, Thor Ragnarok and Jojo Rabbit, it seems like he can do anything. Did you see the report that he's now doing a pirate show for HBO Max called Our Flag Means Death? I think it sounds amazing, but do you think this will interfere with his plans to do a Star Wars movie. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, Taika Waititi, simply Mm -hmm. one of the the most exciting filmmakers uh, going right now. Like he just knows how to make powerful, yet extremely entertaining entertainment. Uh, He's just absolutely fabulous at it. And now he's just signed up for his next project. He's going to be a producer and he's going to be a director. He's going to be directing the pilot episode. As well as being an executive producer on Our Flag Means Death for HBO Max. This comes to us from the folks over at The Hollywood Reporter who writes, HBO Max is getting into the Taika Waititi business. The Warner Media backed streamer has handed out a straight-to-series order to Our Flag Means Death, a period comedy loosely based on the adventures of, I don't know how to pronounce this, Steady Bonnet a pampered aristocrat who abandoned his life of privilege to become a pirate that this is actually a true story, which is actually really kind of fascinating.
1: I, w- I want to be him.
0: I want to be him created by showrunner, David Jenkins, Watiti will executive produce and direct the pilot with will turn his attention to the HBO max series after he completes production on Marvel's Thor love and thunder, which he is writing and directing. All right. I got to tell you, this sounds like something that is right up Taika Waititi's alley to me. This sounds like it is right up his alley. This is so in his wheelhouse. Do something fantastical and exciting and fun and also making it really funny. The premise sounds absolutely perfect for him. This sounds like a no brainer This sounds like a win. This is a show I want to watch. And by the way, if I just read the synopsis and they didn't mention Taika Waititi, this is a show I'd be really interested in. Anyway, I'm all in. I mean, this sounds great. And you add Taika Waititi to that mix. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. This is a project that he is key for. As far as what does this do? Because they're saying that after he's done Thor Ragnarok, a lot of people have assumed that once he's done Thor Ragnarok, he's going to spin off and start working on this Star Wars movie that they announced that he was going to be making for Lucasfilm. Now they're saying he's going to finish Thor Love and Thunder and spin out and do this pirate show. How will that impact or how will it affect what he's doing for Star Wars? The answer to that is it's probably not going to affect it at all. It's probably not going to have any impact in the least. Number one, there was nothing saying that he is at the point that he is ready to really start putting in all the work on the next Star Star Wars movie he wants to do as soon as he's done Thor Love and Thunder. More importantly, though, is that he, although he is an executive producer on this show, he's not the showrunner. He's not going to be working day in and day out with this show. He's going to be an executive producer on it. He's going to direct the pilot. He's going to direct the first one, which is super important. That first episode is the one that sets the tone for the rest of the series. We've spoke about that before. But as far as time commitment, this is minimal compared to a feature film. So I would ultimately guess that although he is doing it right after Thor, I really don't think this is going to involve whatever his plans are or interfere with whatever his plans are for the next Star Wars movie in the least. I really don't think it's going to be a a player in that at all. So overall, I love the sound of this, Rob. I think this sounds great to me, and I really don't think it's going to interfere with the Star Wars stuff, whatever that may be in the least. Rob, you heard about this story. What do you make of it?
1: Bring it on. I mean, remember, you know, TV isn't like movies. And obviously, if this is going to be a pilot and it's about a pirate, it's probably going to be pretty complex. They'll probably shoot it for something like a month. But, you know, it's a movie takes a year, two year, two years to make. A Star Wars movie takes two years to make. I think he can fit both in. I, I think now you're seeing directors are doing this kind of stuff. You know, they're being Taika Waititi. I mean, he show isn't he in Free Guy, too? Like he's acting in Free yes, Guy. Yes, he is. Yeah, but he's that's making done. Academy that's all Award. Done academy award nominated films you know he's doing this he's doing that he's producing what we do in the shadows i mean you know if you want to stay busy john you know how it is you're producing a movie you're doing daily youtube content you find the time and you make it work
0: yeah and he's doing it but i I just i think the show sounds fabulous i mean I, I, i really do
1: i hope he plays the guy is he supposed to play? I guess he. No, I mean, no,
0: they're not saying because that would be that. That suddenly turns a minimal time commitment into a very significant time commitment. Know. But, but, but you're I right. Just, I hadn't uh, even thought of it. You're right. He would be perfect to play that I, an aristocrat who becomes a pirate.
1: I, I mean that that to me is it. What a dream role for anybody to play. <laughs> yeah, sounds oh, man, good to dude. me.
0: Question is for you guys. What do you think about the sounds of Our Flag Means Death being executive produced and at least the pilot being directed by Taika Waititi? We think it sounds great. Maybe you think it sounds silly. That's fine. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Kyle Arking. And Kyle Arking writes, did you read the Variety article stating that Black Widow may move once again and that Soul may move to Disney Plus? If this happens, I am more worried for Soul given that Disney Plus hasn't had the best track record, although I love the one and only Ivan. At this point, I'm no longer trusting release dates until I'm watching the movie. What are your thoughts? All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yep, you know what? You can count on it. It's like taking it to the bank. A couple days ago, they released a new magazine cover of Black Widow. And I say, you know what? I I wouldn't bet a lot of money on it, but I've got a feeling Black Widow is going to keep its release date. I got a feeling Black Widow. I mean, I wouldn't bet money on it. It Certainly it may move, but you know what? I'm I'm feeling like Black Widow is going to keep its release date. Fast forward 48 hours. (laughs) Fast forward 48 hours, and like clockwork, we get the following from the folks at Variety. Disney will likely, remember, it's not official yet, but Disney will likely delay Black Widow, the superhero adventure from Marvel that was slated to open on November 6th, according to multiple individuals with knowledge of the situation. The studio is also exploring various release options for Pixar's existential cartoon, Soul. The animated kids film is still scheduled to release on November 20th, but it's unlikely to move forward with those plans. The studio is even considering releasing on Disney Plus, but, and this is key, a Disney insider disputed claims that Soul was moving to Disney Plus. So yes, there there are some rumblings and some whispers and some rumors suggesting that uh, Soul might be moving to Disney Plus, but Variety is quick to point out that they have a Disney insider who is disputing that. So what's happening with Soul? don't know but that's not really what I'm focused on right now what I'm focused more on is this movie that I said like 48 hours ago that I think it's going to keep its release date Rob yeah yeah, I'm thinking it's going to keep well maybe not now it's important to point out that they're not saying that it's been confirmed that it's moving its date they're not this isn't Disney that's announced this but it is variety and they're saying they got multiple sources in the company that are telling them this thing is going to move yeah While I am mildly surprised by that, because honestly, my line of thinking, Rob, was that they were going to take advantage of the fact that Tenet volunteered to be the first Penguin in the Water and Tenet volunteered to be the movie that would go out there Start raising awareness that theaters are open again. Start the process of getting people back into the the process of coming to the movies, blah, blah, blah. And that by the beginning of November, in could come movies like Black Widow and take advantage of all that groundwork that Tenet had done and maybe even taken the credit that Christopher Nolan and Tenet wanted so badly for being the movie to really break it back open again. While I kind of thought that's what was going to happen, it's also not inconceivable that it does move. I mean, mean, look, the reality is even with Tenet being the first penguin back in the water, it's had its struggles. Now, it hasn't just been pandemic struggles. It's been struggles with people grumbling about the sound mix and maybe the movie was too complicated. We've talked about that ad nauseum. So Mm. it's also struggled with that. But. In this era of the pandemic where everything is changing day by day, it's impossible to predict anything more than 72 hours out. Uh, it's, It's not, you know, I'm not falling out of my chair about this. I still think there's a chance it holds on to that November 6th release date, but it is looking more and more likely that it moves. One of the questions that this does bring up, though, Rob, is that we know how almost obsessively interconnected kevin feige likes his properties to be so the question then becomes if black widow needs to move will that then by necessity trigger a chain reaction of all the mcu stuff and having to move all the other mcu stuff as well how much of a wrench Does, if they have to move Black Widow yet again, throw into the plans of everything else. So, Rob, let's go to you on this. Number one, what do you think about this report? Do you think it's going to move? And if so, how much or how little would this complicate the rest of the MCU release schedule, do you think?
1: Well, first of all, you you know, it, it becomes it becomes academic at some point because these movies that are expensive, 150 million, 200 million and 250 million in the case of something like No Time to Die if their theatrical releases aren't generating what they need to generate, I mean, tenant at $200 million to pay for marketing, it's got to make $800 million theatrical to break even worldwide. And that $200 million is not nearly enough. And that means basically they took a film, a, a viable film that probably could have made a lot more money in a non-pandemic situation, and it was sacrificed. It basically... It 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 died, and they are now. They have to figure out how are we going to pay for this movie, because they've borrowed money. They've been incurring interests on it. So other studios look and they're like, we we can't afford to release our 150 million or 200 million dollar films in this in this situation right now because we'll go broke. I mean, we literally can't afford it, especially if we have multiple. 100 million-plus movie or $200 million movies on deck, which a lot of them do. Warner Brothers, remember, they have Tenant, they have Wonder Woman, and Dune. That is a huge, huge, huge investment by a lot of other people in addition to the studio. And if they're not going to make their money back, they can't just toss aside this investment. It's like burning it up with fire. Um, So I think that's problematic. And I do think, I, honestly, I think Black Widow is going to move because that's a potential billion-dollar grossing movie for the studio. And are they just going to throw it out and lose that money? I mean, that they can't do that. And why would you, if you, you, why leave all that money on the table? And it's just too expensive. It's too. It's worth too much money. I mean, Disney. Look at what happened to Mulan. Not good. So I do think, John, they're going to have to make adjustments. However, the one thing Black Widow has going for it is that it's a prequel. So it does take place after Civil War, before Infinity War, apparently. I don't know if there's a post-credit tag or something. But I'm sure whatever happens in Black Widow, they could chalk it up to, well, it is a prequel. Maybe we can fit it anywhere. I just don't know. But because it is, I think that gives it a little bit more leeway. But they might, like you said, do they push – Winter Soldier, Falcon and Winter, or, uh, yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Do they do that?
0: And then Eternals, Shang-Chi. Uh, all of that's, uh, that's going to get Doctor pushed. Strange. I mean, I mean, and here's the other problem they face. And this is one we don't talk about a lot. But there is awareness fatigue. So let's go back. I, I'm going to take us back in time a little bit to Dwayne The Rock Johnson's G.I. Joe movie. Now, if you remember, that movie was within three months of its release date. It was like within three months, maybe even two months of its release date. Right. They, and they had done a ton of marketing, ton of marketing. Of course you got Dwayne Johnson, a ton of marketing. Then they bumped it with like two months to go. They bumped it almost a year. And then when the movie came out like a year later, there was only a sliver of the enthusiasm for the movie that there had been because it's like, Oh, wait a minute. that, that didn't come out like a year ago i would argue that the same sort of thing kind of happened we often go back to godzilla king of the monsters you know they made this big huge pop splash at san diego comic con a year before the movie came out with this huge trailer and then they dropped so many trailers and so many things that by the time the movie came out i think a lot of people are like oh that like that movie hadn't come out ages ago really it's it's still coming and i think that had something to do with its you know, less than optimal box office return. I think there's also something they're going to have to worry about, about there's a limit to how many times you can push something and how far off. Because I think the more you push it, you're looking at diminishing returns, the more and more you push it. And, but so you're right. There's this pressure on the one end and then there's pressure on the other end. And again, I know people get sick of hearing us saying it, but these are unprecedented times. There's no playbook here. It's not like... It's not like Kevin Feige or the folks at Warner Brothers or or anybody can look at, well, how was this handled before? There is none of that. There, there's no pre-existing example. And it almost looks like a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario for them, right? Like you push it off, there's going to be consequences. You hold firm, there could be consequences. And I don't know, Rob, let me ask you this. You're in charge right now of, let's say let's go outside of the mcu let's say of warner brothers you've got uh wonder woman and you got dune coming they're coming up when you look at those possible threats on both sides what do you do with those movies right now are you kind of saying let's plant let's stick with where we are or are you saying, listen, there, there's there may be some drawbacks, but we got what are you doing with those movies, which are coming a little bit later than what Black Widow was
1: supposed to do? I Look, for me, if I was running the studio, I can't I can't take our the, the biggest quiver, the, the biggest arrows in our quiver and sacrifice them at the altar of we must open these films. I we're a publicly held company. I have shareholders that are going to say, wait a minute, every MCU movie. Uh, it, it averages out a billion dollars. Are you going to throw out Black Widow and, and think a $400 million gross now is is acceptable? I mean, no. We should be making $800 million to a billion dollars on that movie. And what you're doing right now is you're the studio executive. If you're putting movies out in the theater right now, you're the studio executive that's losing hundreds of millions of dollars for the studio. That's what you're doing. And until... Now, we we do have, I have to to be fair, there are other uh, markets in the country that are in the world that are opening up and they've been able to do a lot better with COVID than we have. But what we also need to see is we have to see patrons coming back to movie theaters. A lot of movie theaters with social distancing are still working at half capacity. So even the places that it's opening, you're getting you're getting diminishing returns no matter what. I just don't think I would ever open a movie in that environment in good conscience you know right. i would especially in these movies i'd push them push them i'd push them look uh, it seems to me that universal was the smartest you know the fast saga fast and furious nine now nah, we're just gonna push it a year that's it bye-bye you know and and that might have been not something that anybody wanted to do but that looks in hindsight like the smart play right. because then but- they don't have to sit there and announce it and they don't have to have you know, one article after another and deadline, it moves again, blah, 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 blah you know, and, and it looks like there's not decisive. It, it, it looks like the business is being driven by outside forces. And I know you could say it always is, but it doesn't look like there's decisive leadership at the studios itself, at the, at the themselves, because they keep making these these decisions like we'll push it this long. And then, oh, sorry, can't do that. When really... They really know what they should do. They just don't want to do it.
0: Well, but then because then when do at what point though do you have to take into consideration the words of like say Jared Harris in the Morbius trailer who says <laughs> you know at some point the the cure becomes worse than the disease. Like I mean I think it goes more complicated too because like if you are Marvel right okay we put out Black Widow now we make. Let's go. Let's say we make four hundred million dollars less than we than we would have. We make four hundred million less than we would have. That's catastrophic. But if we do that, we are also able to keep everything else where we wanted it to be. We don't have to do any more shifting with all these other things, which could ultimately cost us a lot. And it may just be that I mean, if we just take Black Widow up now and move it by a year. It could be more costly for us in the long run when you look at whatever possible. But like you said, Rob, maybe there is no impact at all. But maybe there's heavy impact. Does yeah. the chain reaction of events ultimately cost us more than what it would have cost us to just keep Black Widow where it was in the first place? I mean, it's a lose lose. But it might be which is the least lethal poison. I mean, I I mean I
1: don't know. I don't know. It's no, but I, you're right, it's, dude. It's, a it's tough. Call.
0: It's, it's tough. You're absolutely I'm, right about that. So I the, mean, question, the economics
1: involved. Sorry, there's just they're too, there's too much there's too much money to, to lose. I mean, Tenet's going to be a, a huge box office failure.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't know, but does it cost you more in the long run if you move too many things too many times? I, I mean, I I don't know. It's so complex, and there's so much money that I I just think it's a it's a, it's a complicated situation that I have no idea what they're going to do about it. Question is for you guys, let's say you're ahead of a studio. What do you do? Taking all things into consideration, what do you think the best move is? Are you surprised to hear these reports about Black Widow potentially moving? Are you going to be shocked if it doesn't move? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move into our third and final main topic today. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Tommy Doyle. And Tommy Doyle writes, John, I recently got on Twitter and saw that Madonna has pitched a biopic to Universal and that the pop star is going to direct it herself. What do you think about this news? And do you think this would open the doors for more singers making movies about themselves. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, man. And yes, it's not just pitched. I believe it's Universal Rob has picked it up. Uh, Madonna is directing and co-writing with Academy Award winning screenwriter Diablo Cody, who I love. I love Diablo Cody. She wrote mm-hmm. Juno. I believe that's what she won her Academy Award for, it was for Juno. So Diablo Cody and Madonna are working on the script. I think they've nailed the script down. Of a biopic of Madonna and Madonna herself Is going to direct this movie about Herself she's not going to star in it She's going to go out and find some talent to play In it and Universal has greenlit it This comes to us from Deadline who writes Universal Pictures has signed on to be The home for a biopic of iconic I guess you call it Autobiopic It's more than a biopic Uh, An autobiopic of iconic Singer Madonna who will direct Her own story from a script she Is writing with Oscar winning Juno scribe Diablo Diablo Cody Madonna Will produce the film so she's writing directing and Producing the film will produce the film with Pascal Pictures Amy's Amy Pascal Madonna will not act in the film But she will lead a search for a young actress Who will play her in the formative stages Of the disruptors career That set the template for all The diva singers stars who have from Beyonce to Lady Gaga, that comes to us from Deadline. All right, let me get the the my first reaction out of the way on this, Rob. My first reaction <laughs> is I'm not listen. This wouldn't be the first biopic we've seen out there where a somebody has made a film about themselves. It would. This wouldn't be the first time it happened. I will admit, I cringe a little bit at the idea like even when we've talked before rob about certain biopics that are being done where even the estate of the person who the biopic is about has a little bit too much power and we think ah is this going to skew what the movie is going to be will this skew the story will this be is it a little bit too much when you've actually got the subject themselves writing producing and directing and they're in total control of everything that gets said and done in the movie to me, it makes me call into question the value of the movie. And quite frankly, it makes me not definitively just question the validity of the movie. You know, right. it's, it's basically Madonna doing building a, a monument to herself. And so there is that part. Uh, there, there's absolutely that part. That said, on the other side of the coin... Who else knew what Madonna was really thinking in those years better than Madonna does? Who else really knows the the behind-the-doors conversations that happened better than Madonna does? Who else knows what was really the motivation behind certain things that Madonna did than Madonna does? These can all be skewed, of course, making the movie about herself, but, but there's those arguments to be made as well. And again, there are some examples of some autobiographical movies being made that have done pretty well. And I'll say this too. This is a biopic. I am not very big on biopics about musicians. I'm just not. I think in the grand scope of the world, they're not that important. Uh, As so much as like the person who cured polio or the person who did like whatever. But I will say this. Madonna is such a titan a greek god when it comes to the music industry and all that the music industry has become now one could make the argument that if you really chart the course of the music industry and its interconnection with pop culture and everything almost very few things were as pivotal and direction setting as the career of madonna every female pop star today you can draw all the lineage lines back to madonna how they were influenced, how they chose to navigate themselves, how they have mimicked the career uh, you know, projections that Madonna did with her career. Uh, you can make the argument there has never been a more important female artist in the world of music history ever. And so while I am uncomfortable as a viewer with the notion, Rob, of a pop star producing, writing, directing, and having full creative control over their own story, While I am uncomfortable with that, it is outweighed to me by this is one that should get made. There are some examples of such things being done before and they work. And there are some arguments about how it could play into the authenticity of the picture that I think all that outweighs my very legitimate concerns about the the person being in charge of their own thing. So I'm going to say cautiously, I'm looking forward to it. So I don't know, Rob, you heard about this thing. By the way, we're over kind of brushing over the fact that Academy Award winning screenwriter Diablo Cody is working with her on this. To me, that that's huge. That shouldn't be just brushed over. But anyway, Rob, you see the story. You hear the details. What's your reaction to it?
1: Man, I'm in for no other reason than this is wacky. This is some crazy shit. I want to see what's going to go down. I want to see what Madonna, how is she going to paint the picture of herself to – To the world at large. I mean, what's really interesting is you've got to give it up for the material girl because, you know, when she if you think about when she came on the scene and songs like Borderline and Lucky Star and actually my favorite early Madonna song was Burning Up. I'm burning up because I'm on fire. I can't quench my desire. Uh, don't you know that I'm burning up for your love? But and you I, call I, me I, the um, song and dance, man. Come on. I know. I t- I'm telling you. But as she moved through her career, whether she was being outrageous, it's starting really with Like a Virgin. Then when she was going through, what, was it erotica that she was doing that? Justify Your Love, which, by the way, is still a killer music video. And then the, the work she did revolutionizing the music video form Uh, The the whole album like that Frozen is off of is amazing. And like you said, she's probably one of the most important female artists of our time. Well, you know, she was a force for youth in the 80s and 90s. Madonna's like 60, 62 years old. She's 62. Okay, so she's 62. And I think what better way than to enter a new phase? I mean, she can't sit there and. You know, name her albums after ecstasy anymore, like M.D.N.A. You know, you've got to, uh, you've got to reinvent yourself. And I think this is a way to reinvent herself in a really strange, kind of wonderful, exciting way. I mean, she knows enough to get a script. If, if if she had said written it, if they'd written and directed by Madonna, I'm like, ooh, I don't know about that. But the fact that she's, I'm working with Diablo Cody, this is some smart stuff. And whether the movie turns out to be great or something like the concord airport 79 which is not good for those of you who are trying to get what i'm trying to say it's not good uh either way what we're going to get is something that's going to be interesting worth following and certainly a curiosity and what if it turns out to be really good ben madonna's done it again you know reinvented herself for the 2020s you know deep into the, the 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 new century And it keeps her relevant. I mean, my God, from the 80s to the 2020s and beyond, that's pretty cool. So I'm rooting for the girl. I I want her to – I want to burn up with love for this movie, John.
0: I want to burn up with love for this movie. Uh, You had to work that in there. I can't quench
1: my desire.
0: Yeah, and listen, again, I I think if if there's going to be any – I honestly can't think of another musician or musical act that – would more justify a biopic, even if it's an auto biopic uh, than Madonna does. I, I mean, I very, very few names, the Beatles, perhaps a band. I don't even like, but they are like God status. What? I know somewhere Scott Mance is screaming at me, but, uh, but they are God status. They, they are God status. Led Zeppelin, uh, you know, uh, Rolling Stones, you know, Madonna's name is right there with that when you really understand the history of, of the industry so it's gonna be interesting question is guys what do you think about this maybe you know despite her importance and all that kind of stuff maybe that's not enough to outweigh the kind of question marks people are gonna have about it with the fact that she's writing and directing and producing herself i don't know how do you feel overall about it jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts all right guys with all of that down and out of the way, we're now going to move on and start taking your live questions. Once again, you can simply get a live question on the show right now, if it's within reason, by using the tip link at the top of the description of this video or enter it manually, streamelements.com slash TV slash tip. With that said, let's get into it and start taking your live questions, shall we? And we're going to start things off here. With Anonymous who writes, so this is an old topic, by the way, I found the Duel of the Fates script leaked online and Esquire says it's real and it looks like the one that Rob gave us a sneak peek at a few months ago. Have I fallen victim to fake internet leaks or is this real? Well, I haven't seen the one you're talking about and I Rob, I don't know if you've taken a look at the one that they're saying Esquire is talking about if you have and you have seen the real one. Is it real? Is it the legit one? That is it the same one that you saw?
1: Well, I haven't seen which which script, but I, I would imagine it is because there's really only one script that's floated around. It's all the same script, so I would imagine it is. I mean, I you know, I think so.
0: Right, and and you know that it was actually one hundred percent legit. Like we won't yes. talk about how you know, but we, you know it yeah. was one hundred. percent No, I know legit. it was one hundred
1: percent legit. All right, so there you go,
0: anonymous. You did yes, not fall. Vi- you did not fall victim to fake news on that. All right, next up, Kenny T writes: Hearing suggestions that Pedro Pascal is having heated problems with execs about having scenes without the helmet. This apparently resulted in at least half of the season two being focused away from the Mandalorian. What does this mean for season two and beyond? Kenny, ignore that shit. Just ignore that. That this is this is just from a logical point of view. This is the mo- one of some of the most ridiculous shit I've ever heard. All right. Um, number one, Pedro Pascal has almost nothing to do with the Mandalorian. <gasps> yeah, it's true. Pedro Pascal has almost nothing to do with the Mandalorian. He he goes in to a sound booth, probably three or four days, probably three or four days. Right. Goes into a recording booth and records the dialogue, and then he was actually on set. For like 25% of season one, we had um, Howard come out and point out that the episode she directed, she never even met Pedro Pascal. He was never even on set. We've heard that Pedro Pascal was never even set foot on set for several episodes of the show. They had two other guys in the Mandalorian outfit. One was a martial artist. One was a trained cinematic gunslinger. Uh, like Western Gunslinger, and they would kind of rotate between using those people in and out. They didn't need Pedro Pascal around. Now I love Pedro. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not trashing on Pedro Pascal. I freaking love Pedro Pascal. Are you kidding me? He's awesome. But the reality is, out of the least important people actually involved in the movie, Pedro Pascal is one of the least important. They probably he probably spent a good twelve days total working on that show probably 12 days total. And listen, Pedro Pascal also knew what they were going to be doing with the movie. He read season 2 script. It's not like, "Oh, we got halfway through season 2." Th- there's this story going around that wants you to believe that halfway through season 2, Pedro Pascal just realized, "Wait a minute, I don't have scenes with my helmet off?" That that's that's not how this works. He knew what no. direction the show was going before they shot day 1. He had already shot all the audio scenes with it and they've got body doubles in the suit with them. This story is so ludicrous to me. Now, that's not to say, Rob, that's not to say that there may not be some creative differences going on about what might happen in season three, or there may not be some creative differences going on moving forward. But this notion that somehow halfway through shooting season two, this is how utterly ridiculous this is it that suddenly magically halfway through season two, Pedro Pascal woke up and thought, oh, I didn't realize I, I know I read the script, but I just didn't know that was real. I'm not going to do the rest of the season. That's not how contracts work. You don't get to do that. Pedro Pascal wouldn't have legally been allowed to just go, eh, I'm just not doing the rest of the season. They just would have sued him out of existence and he never would have worked in Hollywood again. Not to mention he had already recorded all of his stuff and they don't need him on set anyway. Jon Favreau already pointed out that this season was going to be different from the previous season and that it was going to follow different storylines, much like Game of Thrones did. But this notion this th- that anybody would buy into this completely unrealistic fairy tale that, oh, they they actually shot half the movie and then Pedro got mad and he walked off the show. And so Jon Favreau had to suddenly rewrite the last half of the thing altogether and they had to change directions. Yeah, the amount of naivety, the, 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 the sheer degree of naiveness you would have to have to believe that fiction. Again, that's not to say there weren't problems. That's not to say there weren't problems, but you have to have your head so far in the sand to believe this fiction, like the way it's being presented. Again, I'm not saying there were no problems. I'm not saying there may not be drama that they have to deal with season three. I'm not saying there is. I'm not saying there isn't. But this construct that halfway through shooting, Pedro Pascal got mad that he didn't get to show his face because he didn't realize he wasn't get to show his face, and he stormed <laughs> off the set. And John Favreau just rewrote the rest of the second half of the show to be without him when they never needed him in the first place because they just have body doubles in the Mando suit anyway. It's it's anyway. I don't know, Rob. What do you think about this whole these uh, whispers going around about that?
1: Dude, I I am I am right there with you. And as you pointed out, the reality of how movies and TV are made. Is not rocket science. It's been relatively the same for a hundred years. Technology has changed, camera equipment's changed, but contracts haven't. And and what people sign on for, I mean, being in the Mandalorian for an actor, especially like Pedro Pascal that people like, has got to be one of the cushiest jobs in the world. He gets to be the title character and then he only has to play the title character in like one and a half episodes per season. I mean, what a job, what a great job. And then they trot him out when they want people to see him when they promote the show. I mean, it's the greatest. He knows he goes into a a booth. He voices his, you think he doesn't like that? Of course he, he's like his character is one of the most talked about characters in entertainment on the planet right now. He doesn't care when he gets paid, you know, he's not going to get mad. Oh, you're not showing my face. No, his face is going to be in Wonder Woman 84. He's fine.
0: Yeah, it's, it's and by just just by the way too the uh the behind the scenes documentary series they did on uh mandalorian they shot those round tables while they were shooting season two yeah just 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 so everybody knows and who's in those round tables Pedro pascal so I mean just just another thing to keep again not saying that there are there isn't any drama not saying that but but that particular specific construct that some people are trying to pitch to you Don't buy that. All right. Next up. Um, Sam writes, Hey, John, uh, what Ann think of the Mando trailer? She loved it. She loved it. I I got to watch. I saw it before she did, uh, but then I sat down and watched her with, and of course, very predictably, her favorite part was the whole singing birds. Yoink, hit the button, close the dome. That, I mean, that has to be most of people's favorite scene, but she absolutely loved that. Thanks for asking, Sam. Uh, Casinema Reviews writes, Did you see that Jason Momoa posted about supporting Ray Fisher? This came up yesterday. Uh, supporting Ray Fisher and saying that Frosty the Snowman movie was fake. No, he didn't say that. He did not say that. Uh, he said something very specific, but he did not say the Frosty movie was fake. I thought something was off about that news. Why would Jeff Johns be involved with that? Or is there a Frosty comic he wrote? I'm not aware of. No, here's, here's the bottom line, Rob. You weren't here yesterday when I gave this totally out there tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theory, but I believe it. Listen, listen. let me repeat something I said yesterday. First of all, there is a difference, Rob, you and I know this, between what you believe and what you know to be true. There, Those are two right. different things. Like, um, I know Anne's birthday. I know that to be true. That's uh, April 2nd is Anne's birthday. I know that to be true. I try a new kind of ice cream and I believe, I think Anne's really going to love this. I believe Anne's going to like this, but she might not. So there is often a difference between what you believe and what you know to be true. What I'm about to say is something that I believe, not that I know to be true. Say, so Let's be very clear about that. What we know to be true or what we believe will often evolve and change as new information and data and facts get presented to us, then we change what we believe. But so here's where I am on this, Rob. So we saw Jason Momoa, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this because you and I haven't talked about this. Jason Momoa comes out the other day, and he gets on Twitter, and he says, "Um, you know, hey, they released that fake news about me and Frosty that I didn't give anybody permission to release yet. I'm like, well, time out a second. Either it's fake news or they needed your permission. If you're saying you're mad that they didn't get your permission to release that news, then how can you pretend like it's fake? Deadline put out that report and nobody has ever questioned the validity of the report. And here's the other thing, Rob, that report, that story, that deadline wrote that you had uh, you have Jet Johnson or was it Berg? Anyway, uh, one of the two is involved in this frosty movie with Jason Momoa. If Jason Momoa saw a story in deadline saying that he was voicing this blah, 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 He would have got on Twitter that day to say, that's not true. Or maybe a few days later, that story came out nearly 11 weeks ago, 11 weeks ago. And you're just saying something about it now, by the way, nothing, no other deadline has not retracted it. Nobody's saying that story wasn't real. So I found that to be very odd. Also, Ray Fisher just came out and is claiming that Warner Brothers purposefully leaked the Ben Affleck as Batman news purposefully to take attention away from ray fisher's story which what once again if you that was four weeks ago why are you only mentioning that now four weeks later and i'm sorry but outside of hardcore people who follow dc nobody knows who ray fisher is nobody knew who he was when he got cast to play thing i i think he's a very very talented dude but whatever Rob, let me tell you what I have come to believe about this situation. All right. Not what I know to be true. Could be very, very wrong. Rob, the WWE was at its most powerful. And the reason Stone Cold Steve Austin became the most popular wrestler of all time was Vince McMahon, the owner of WWE, the boss, wrote himself as the villain and got everybody on board with stone cold, Steve Voss. yeah, stone cold, stick it to the man. Yeah. Guess who was behind all of that. <laughs> it was Vincent K. McMahon. He was the sure. one who was doing it because it was great for business. Get make it the world against the man. Even though he was the man, make it the world against the man. Get everybody all with stone cold and blah, 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 blah. Rob, when you look at that, And then you look at what happened with the release, the Snyder cut thing, because remember a number of months ago, Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, Jason Momoa, they all started tweeting out release the Snyder cut. And I got everybody excited. Got everybody excited. Yeah. Warner Brothers. Come on, Warner Brothers. It's all of us against you, Warner Brothers. Well, guess what we found out later? When they announced that the Snyder Cut was going to HBO Max, Zack Snyder revealed that the deal was made months before Jason Momoa and Ben Affleck. It was all coordinated by Warner Brothers. This whole, come on, Warner Brothers, listen to all of us. Warner Brothers orchestrated all of it. They played us. They totally played us. And just go back to the Ben Affleck situation. Ben Affleck on stage at Comic-Con. I'm still Batman. I'm still Batman. When the reality was he wasn't. But Warner Brothers played us all again. Rob, here's what I believe. Jason Momoa is an intelligent man. Ray Fisher, I don't know him personally, but he was a Broadway star. This dude is an intelligent man. I am telling you right now what I believe not know to be true. This is all Warner Brothers. This is Warner Brothers playing all of us again, like they played us with the release of the Snyder Cut stuff, like they played us with the Ben Affleck stuff. This is all of it. Why would Jason Momoa wait 11 weeks to say, oh, oh, there's something fishy about that Frosty announcement, the announcement that came out 11 weeks ago? Why would Ray Fisher go, hey, everybody, big, mean Warner Brothers, they just put out that Ben Affleck as Batman is back to distract. That was four weeks ago. Why are you only bringing it up now? I'll tell you why. Because it's another, it's, it is it is Warner Brothers being Vincent McMahon. It is Warner Brothers doing a WWE. Hey, everybody, let's get everybody excited. Let's let's make it everybody against us. Let's, and we'll get everybody excited about it. And they'll buy our HBO Max thing. And they'll get all excited. Again, I don't know this to be true. I, there's a million different ways, Rob, that this could be 5,000 degrees of wrong. But I, I, this whole thing looks so—no pun intended—for Aquaman, but it looks so fishy. This whole thing looks so. Rob, we just saw Jason Momoa doing this big Warner Brothers panel the other day with Dune. Woohoo! I'm in a Warner Brothers movie. Woohoo! And then just a few days later, damn that Warner Brothers and them not doing this. Really? I. It just—it looks so fishy to me. I think Warner Brothers. Look, I, I like Warner Brothers a lot. But Warner Brothers has been so duplicitous and underhanded in their PR stuff in the past. I do not put this them I don't put this by them at all. I think Jason Momoa is in on it. I think Ray Fisher's in on it. I think they're all doing it. I think the reason we haven't seen Ben Affleck come in is because Ben Affleck is probably like behind the scenes. Listen, I played this game with you guys when we kept it secret that I was out as Batman, that I was done as Batman. Right. I, I don't think Gal Gadot wants to get into that game at all, so they're not doing it. But just Momoa's game, just Momoa's—he's a team player. Yeah, man, I'll get involved in this. I'll—I'll I'll, I'll be this new Stone Cold Steve Austin. I don't know. What do you think, Rob?
1: What do you think their end game is, though? I like, think their like end they game stir the pot. Like, like, what are they trying to accomplish here, John?
0: Here's what I think they're trying to accomplish, and they're already accomplishing it. I think they're trying to do, ultimately, exactly what what Vince McMahon was trying to do with Steve Austin. It got everybody on Steve Austin's train. I think what they are ultimately trying to do, because this is PR, I think ultimately what they are trying to do is keep everybody talking about this DC world. They want every they want everybody to jump on the Ray Fisher bandwagon. They want everybody to jump on the Jason Momoa bandwagon. He's there. they these guys are there are the people's heroes. Now, they're the people's heroes against the big corporate. We're the big bad guys, Warner Brothers, but it's them writing the script. I I think their ultimate purpose, their endgame is exactly what we're seeing happening now. They're getting everybody on board. Everybody's talking about Snyder cut. Everybody's talking about, will Ray Fisher appear in the flash? I guarantee you he's going to be in flash. I 100% guarantee you Ray Fisher is going to be in flash, which just proves that this whole thing is this is Warner Brothers playing us. I believe I, it's going to prove and what you think Jason Momoa is not going to do Aquaman 2. You think you think if it was a real employee, employer, employer relationship that Jason will uh, yeah, damn Warner Brothers, and that he would still be in, in Aquaman 2? I'm
1: not going to do it. A billion uh-huh. dollar movie. I'm
0: not going to be in yeah. another one. I'm no. telling you, Ray Fisher's going to be in Flash. Jason Momoa is going to be in Aquaman too. These guys are going to get pumped and promoted and move forward. I, I Again, there is a – you don't have to tell me there's a million things that could be wrong with this theory of mine because I know there are a million things that could be wrong with this theory of mine. And maybe I'm a little bit too much of a WWE kid from the 90s. Maybe that's true. You don't have to convince me. But I'm telling you, this is more and more every day, every, every odd and weird thing I see tweeted, every odd and weird thing I see in Warner Brothers responses. It's just looking more and more to me like, like a job. It looks like we're getting, we're getting played, but I don't know. Million different reasons why not, but, but we'll see, we'll see how it all goes. I think this is all being orchestrated. I think this whole thing, I think they're all in on it together and I think it's all being orchestrated. Uh, because I think Warner Brothers is devious that way. But that's just me. We'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Okay, let's go on here. Shadow Jester writes, um, Hey, John and Rob. Hello. On Disney Plus right now, you can search TF and TWS. I, guys, please don't write an acronyms. Please don't write an acronyms. For a 30-second teaser and quick synopsis, it says coming fall 2020. So cl- clearly... Clearly an updated timeline. What are the chances this happens? This happens and is around November 2020 or November 20th, 2020, November of 2020, 27th, keeping it still after BW. All right. BW is that Black Widow? So maybe you're talking about. Okay. So. TF and you probably mean Falcon, the winter soldier. It's not the Falcon. And this is just, just okay. So guys, just please in the future, do not write an acronyms I would appreciate that. Um, yeah, they're still very uh, Rob right now. You and I both know they're still kind of being very nebulous about the release. date. they're just right now, they're just saying fall. We don't have it, a specified date normally i would think that they they have a date they're just not letting us know but right now i kind of believe that they don't even know what date they're going to release it on what do you think
1: i agree with you entirely now they've got the mandalorian they don't have to worry (laughs) you know it's like okay we don't know when it's coming out we got the mando coming out we got a great trailer and uh now we got something to bring back the the viewers if we've lost any we'll get to the marvel cinematic universe when we can because it was all supposed to cross promote itself you know black widow comes out and creates the fervor you follow up with falcon and winter soldier you hit him with eternals then wandavision all of that it's all part of the same continuum and when you don't have your the beginning of that continuum to to thrust you into all this you've got to push everything back and now they don't know yeah they just don't yeah, know I agree.
0: All right, uh, next up, uh, Team Iron Man writes, Hey, John and Rob, did you see a recent Falcon and Winter Soldier set photos of... Joe? I did see this! Of George St. Pierre. He plays Batrock the Leaper in Winter Soldier. I would love to see him get some revenge on Bucky slash Team Cap in remembrance of Iron Man. Hashtag Orbit for Han. There you go, Orbit for Han. Yeah, I got really excited because my all-time... You guys know I'm a big MMA guy, and my all-time favorite uh, martial artist is George St. Pierre. He is... He's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. I love mm. George St. Pierre. And I thought he was great. I'm not saying he's a great actor, but they minimized the number of lines he had to speak. His fight scene with Captain America at the beginning of Winter Soldier was fantastic. He went toe-to-toe with Cap in that, which was great. And yes, I did see, I was hoping he would appear, but I did see that he's back on set. So he's going to be in it. So I'm very excited about that. Rob, did you uh, did you see these pics that people are talking I about? I did
1: see it. I did see the picks and I'm in, you know, I mean, bring it on. Hell yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't know wrestlers or MMA fighters like you do, but I I find that I I do appreciate the presence of people that really do look like they could kill somebody with their bare hands.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's the thing with George St. Pierre. He really could kill you with his bare hands. So it's like, it's great to see. I know. Uh, I'm all for it, Team Man. I'm all for it. Okay. Uh, Butt dog rights. Uh, I do sympathize with those who were offended by Mel Gibson's famous rant. But after all these years, why are many still grudging? Many in Hollywood have been more quickly forgiven and for much worse. My sincere apologies if anybody finds us insensitive. Well, yeah, listen, it's it's one of those situations where you all have to acknowledge you may feel one way, but you've got to understand why other people may feel differently. Like I had somebody that I worked with with uh, of Jewish descent and and I'm not talking about Rob. And, you know, they were never really able to quite get over the Mel Gibson thing. And I respect that because, listen, I'm not of Jewish descent. I'm not going to tell somebody else who is of Jewish descent how they should or should not feel about a certain person who went on a rant rage and stuff like that about them. I'm not going to tell them how they should feel. I can't relate. I'm not that person. I don't have that history. For me, it's usually more about I care more about people's actions and. Uh, let's just say that I, after hearing the people who do business with uh, Mel Gibson, I was able to eventually move past. I thought, look, I thought he paid his penance publicly. I thought he was, you know, it it can it forever changed his career. He got publicly humiliated for it and rightfully so. Uh, but I was able to move on. But just because I was able to move on from it doesn't mean I think other everybody else should. And it's just one of those situations where different people are going to feel differently. Rob, I'd actually be really curious because, you know, you, you come from a family – your family background. You were raised Jewish. Um, I'd be curious to know just your individual take on the whole Mel, Mel Gibson thing.
1: Well, I mean one of the things – because I was adopted into a Jewish family. I don't, I guess, look traditionally Jewish. So I've heard a lot of people – I always say I'm a stealth Jew. I've heard a lot of people say a lot of anti-Semitic stuff in my presence. And look, I mean, when Mel Gibson went off on his rant, um, he was a he's a beloved figure in Hollywood. People really liked Mel Gibson. He was great to work with. And I think, you know, when you're drunk and you get angry, I think there's a lot of things people say. There's a lot of bubbling anger. There's a lot of things people will never tell you that they're really thinking. But my whole feeling is this: I mean, um, I don't begrudge him for all you can do in life is you've got to forgive people, because if you're going to harbor a grudge with people forever, what kind of life are you going to have for yourself? And you know, if I was ever ever able to work with Mel Gibson, I mean, I've watched, watched movies like Dragged Across Concrete that I thought he was very good in, and. I only ever met Mel Gibson once when I was at Warner brothers and I didn't like meet him. I was just there when he was talking, he said hello to me, but the, the, everyone loved that guy. You know, if you worked on the Warner brothers lot in the late eighties, or early nineties, and people talked about Mel Gibson, the guy was like one of the most beloved figures ever. And so, you know, he, he did some stupid stuff, but I believe in forgiveness. I believe, you know, Fool me once though, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You do it again, then I'm like, all right, I write you off. But but you've got to give people an opportunity to, to you got to forgive people. Because otherwise, why lead your life? Are you going to be consumed by everybody that does you wrong? I mean, there's so much hate in the world. Let's face it, John, we live on a planet where there's a lot of hatred. People hate everybody. Go anywhere. There's always groups of people that hate other groups of people. And I'm like, for no reason. You just got to forgive and move on. I still like Mel Gibson. I like Mel Gibson movies. And you know what? If he hates Jews, that's his prerogative. But if I ever met him, hopefully I could prove to him that, you know, you don't have to hate me. We can be friends.
0: All right. Let's move on here. Uh, Tristan Larson writes: uh, Why, why does Gina Carano keep digging herself deeper and deeper into this crap storm on Twitter? Seems like she's making fun of marginalized community. while everyone is just begging her to stop. Listen, I, I'm not going to get into. I mean, the Mel Gibson was was borderline enough. I'm not going to get into uh, TMZ bullshit of. Did you see what this person's tweeting and, and whatever? And I, I just, I appreciate you sending the question and asking, but I, I that's not what I'm here to. I, I'm. I didn't wake up this morning thinking. Let's talk about what Gina uh, Gina Carano is talking is saying on Twitter. I that that's not what I want to be here and do. So I hope I hope you understand. Yeah. Thank you for asking, but I hope you understand why I don't feel like I want to use my time to to discuss it. Um I butt dialed Batman writes. Fans since AMC, thank you so much for that. I've seen Tenet four times in theaters now. The two times I saw it in Dolby, uh, it was loud and I couldn't hear the dialogue. But the two times I saw it in a smaller theater chain, the sound was lower and I could hear absolutely everything. Why do you suppose that is? I mean, it could be very very uh, much a part of the fact that the IMAX and Prime... Dolby experiences are very much designed their audio is very very much designed whereas maybe a lot of regular theaters just get a basic mixed down track or whatever and it's not that big of a deal I've heard from some people as well that said it was just as bad in a regular theater I've heard from other people say they saw it in a regular theater and it actually wasn't as bad so that's a good thing to know. The first time I saw it, I saw it in a Dolby Prime. So the next time I see it with Anne, I'm going to purposely make sure I watch it more in a regular theater to see if there's any difference. So thanks for sharing your experience on that, Butt Dialed. But yeah, I think if there is a difference, it has to do with the sound systems and the designs for the sound systems that are in those specific theaters are very, very specific. And uh, maybe there could be a practical difference there. So we'll wait and see. All right. Augie Boyas writes... Hey, John, uh, just responding to the viewer's question about the Baby Yoda hot toy. I pre-ordered mine back in February, was supposed to receive it by October. Just got an email last week saying they will start shipping early November. I cannot wait. So, Rob, somebody wrote in a question yesterday about that Baby Yoda. They're expecting to get soon. Did you end up ordering that one to one scale Baby Yoda? And if so, have you gotten any notifications about when it'll arrive?
1: Yes, I did. And yes, that is true. You know, all of Hot Toys, though, have been pushed back because of the pandemic. Because remember, they literally are on boats and they're br- being brought over. So the shipping and COVID and all that ha- really pushed their their schedule m- by months, which is good because otherwise I'd be broke. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, November, we'll start seeing those things come in and ship. So I wouldn't worry about it. Hot toys are always <laughs> they're always delayed but worth the wait
0: but worth the wait all right next up scott brown writes just felt like giving my top five tv dramas and i can only rank what i've seen number five the expanse i love the expanse number four supernatural i love supernatural number three justified number two er overlooked class- a lot of the er was a super popular classic for a long time and number one a lot of people overlook the x files rob any one of these five really jump out to you that that you i know you love the expanse you're one of the people who got me into the expanse but any of the other ones
1: <clears throat> yeah i love i love the Expanse, and you know i i love overall i love the X-Files I just wish that the show didn't hold together throughout throughout its run but I do love the X-Files and I really love the Expanse
0: all right, next up, uh, Angela Dashner, who tipped in $20. Thank you so much for supporting the channel that level, Angela. Uh, thanks, John. So went to see Tenet in regular theater and still had sound mix. problems. We just had somebody say they saw it in a regular one. No sound mix problem, but others are uh, still had sound mix problems with the movie. Do you think that this is hurting box office? I don't think that Black Widow or Wonder Woman will have this issue. So would their box office suffer? I, I was talking about this the other day. Listen. The, the issues with tenant aren't just pandemic issues. They're also issues of there's a lot of people seeing the movie that are grumbling about it, whether it's not being able to hear dialogue, the, the, the various issues with sound mixing. Some people finding the movie just far too confusing. So you're not getting that rave word of mouth that we traditionally get from a Christopher Nolan movie. So I I think you're right, Angela. I think there's so many people talking about the audio issues that, yes, I don't think it's making a night and day difference, but is it making a difference? I believe so. Yes, because I hear a lot of people talking about it. And if other people are hearing those people talk about it, it's going to affect their decision. Because a lot of people were probably on the fence already about whether or not they, in in a pandemic, a lot of people are on the fence about whether or not they want to go to the theater or not. They start hearing, it's hard to understand, you can't hear anything. Well, that's going to push them off to one side of the fence then. So, yes, I do believe that's having an impact. And hopefully that's not... An element or a dimension that would come into play with either, say, a Wonder Woman or a Black Widow if those movies do release on time as it is. Thanks a lot for writing that in, Angela, and thanks for sharing your experience. All right, Ben A. writes, Hey, John, I've just been catching up with your shows this week. Thank you so much. Uh, Just thought I would let you know that Barbara Muschietti, I had had a friend of mine call me and, and remind me about this. Just want to let you know that Barbara Muschietti is Andy's sister, not wife. Otherwise, that would be awkward. Other than that, just want to say thank you for the incredible show every day. I didn't know that. I I said forgot. I didn't forget. I didn't know that. I have always assumed that Barbara Muschietti was Andy's wife because we see a lot of husband and wife teams, Zack Snyder and and his Deborah Snyder. We see lots of that. We see lots of that. I have just always assumed I had no idea it was sister, but I had somebody call me yesterday. A friend of ours call me yesterday to remind me or not to remind me, but to let me know that I'm like, really? That's I, I never knew. I never knew. I just made an assumption. You know what they say about assuming, assuming makes an ass out of you and you. So anyway, yes. So let's move on here. Uh, But thanks for throwing that out there, Ben. All right. Uh, Timothy writes one of two. Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, Timothy. I was reading Mulan's wiki page and noticed that it says there is a sequel in development. Although it doesn't say where it was confirmed that that this is true, I personally really enjoyed Mulan and wouldn't mind a sequel to it. Uh, but with all of the controversy that Mulan has garnered, with the CFO even confirming that the film has caused a lot of issues for them, do you think Disney is willing to make a sequel to Mulan? Seems like a big risk now. Um, well, the, the big thing here is that you found it on Wikipedia. Wikipedia is a place where anybody can go and make, submit edits and things. Never take that as anything. Look, I think Mulan is like 90% of the movies made in Hollywood. I think it was planned as a standalone. And if it made 1.5 billion at the box office, they would damn well look at doing a sequel, just like Joker. Totally planned as being a standalone. That's it. One shot. One shot. I believe there's a very good chance we're going to get a Joker sequel because it got nominated for Best Picture, won Walking Phoenix an Academy Award, made over a billion dollars at the box office. Yeah, so that's possible, but I don't think there was ever any real plans. I don't think there was ever any real plans for a Mulan sequel and and c- compounding all the, the, you know, the mixed lukewarm reviews or feedback we've been hearing from people, including from me. And I was really excited about the film. I still liked it in general, but. You know, it it was a missed opportunity. All the issues it's had around the world. Yeah, I I don't think we're going to be seeing a sequel to Milan. I just don't think that we will be. Chris writes, hey, the name Paramount Plus has been around longer than Disney Plus. I did some design work for it back in 2016. In the EU, example, Hungary, it's been P Plus for a few years. SVOD platform. I didn't know that. CBS now changing after the merger with Viacom. Bring on the filthy Rob. That was something we talked about yesterday about Paramount they're rebranding they're rebranding cbs all access into paramount plus oh, yes now so what i had said on yesterday's show was this i was turned off when apple tv plus called it apple tv plus it's like really we just got disney calling it disney plus now you're gonna call it that but after since apple did it and now we got espn plus and whatever it's like well now from a branding point of view i get it because now people expect that now People instantly know for branding purposes, you say so and so plus you've just kind of now people know exactly what it is your thing is. Oh, that is the premium streaming version of this. So I get it. And CBS All Access, that's not a name that's going to attract people. Paramount Plus may not be the sexiest thing in the world, but it's going to, I think, garner more attention and be looked at a little bit differently than CBS All Access. What do you think about that branding decision they made to change it to Paramount Plus?
1: Well, you know, I, I talked a little bit about that yesterday, and I think it's a good one. I mean, I really do. And I, I love people being snarky like people don't remember Paramount. I'm like, look, Paramount Plus is a lot sexier than CBS All Access. <laughs> I mean, CBS All Access sounds like you're you're going to a sporting event and you get a backstage pass you know, Paramount Plus is like, I grew up loving the Paramount Mountain. I love Paramount movies, I, whether it's The Godfather or Chinatown, the Star Trek movies, Top Gun, Grease, I mean, you name it. And and I think one of the things that's happening in our landscape is that, you know, when you get a studio like this, you get their entire catalog of all the movies they've made and their storied history, and Paramount's goes back 100 years. So, I think that's what you lead with. You know, you lead with a studio. We've got HBO uh, Max is Warner Brothers, the Peacock is Universal, Paramount Plus is now, well, Paramount. I think it's the way to go. I think you've got a whole history and a legacy that you roll into your branding and I think it's fantastic. I'm all all right. I can't wait. Uh, Next up, we've got Butt Dog, who writes, I recently
0: got to watch in person out of Cape Canaveral, Florida, the launch of the Mars Perseverance rover, and it was awesome. It aroused the part of my brain that loves sci-fi a hundred times more than it's even been stimulated. Have you seen a space launch? I have never seen a space launch in person. I've watched a couple on TV. Um, I've never watched a space launch in person. I do have to imagine it'd be pretty impressive. Uh, to see and kind of serve. but I, again, I can't relate with that because I've never been there. Rob, I know being a big science and space guy as you, uh, but to best of my knowledge, you've never lived in Florida. Have you ever I know if, if there's anybody's I would know that would want to have been at a live space launch, it would be you, but have you ever had that opportunity?
1: I have never been to a live space launch as long as I've lived, and I've desperately wanted to go to one, but I'll tell you a quick story. I was in Montreal in your home home country. When the I curiosity, well, when the curiosity lander landed on Mars, and it was back in 2012, and there's this, it, the way they did it was cockamamie. The engineering feat of getting that thing on the Martian surface, and they have this thing called the seven minutes of terror, like it was going to crash. I was sitting in a bar, man, and this was at night, and I was sitting there waiting for that seven minutes where the signal was lost. If they could re, if 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 they get the signal back, they knew it worked. And when it came back. I just dude involuntary tears I was I was just crying because of the feat of it and tears are streaming down my face I'm staring at the screen like this and the bartender comes over to me he's like man are you okay like are you all right and I was just like I'm like and I'm like can you believe what they just did and the bartender's like what happened man and like all these people around me are like are you okay and then finally I explain and people are like oh that's all <laughs> like, this is the greatest engineering feat in all of human history and you're saying that's all <laughs> some people just don't
0: appreciate it like others do alright uh, let's move on Starscreamatron writes hey John I'm finally the ruler of the Decepticons with the help of my most loyal soldiers the Combaticons surely I'll rule for millennia uh, or an episode I finished Doom Patrol Flex Met- Mentallo was great I think I flexed the wrong muscle now on to Kim's convenience listen I gotta tell you You know, I've talked a lot about Doom Patrol on this show. Which, by the way, I was just telling you this, Rob, before we started the show. I'm I'm watching Lovecraft Country right now. The latest episode of Lovecraft Country, Rob, is the most bonkers episode of television I have ever seen, and that's, I mean, or at least tied with the "I flexed the wrong muscle" episode of Doom Patrol. I think it's a tie now that the most recent episode of Lovecraft and that episode of Doom Patrol of I flex the wrong muscle. If you've seen Doom Patrol, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm not even going to try to explain it to you. But uh, <laughs> amongst the, the craziest, crazy stuff. By the way, did you ever get around to seeing that thing on Doom, on Doom Patrol that did you ever get to see like the I flex the wrong muscle episode? I can't remember.
1: Yes, I did
0: is that not like one of the craziest things ever in television history
1: yes yes (laughs) Uh, it was fantastic
0: so hey, I'm glad you're uh, I'm glad you enjoyed that uh star scream. and yes, do get on to Kim's Convenience, it's brilliant. All right, B Wayne New York writes. Hey John, per your suggestion my girlfriend and I watched Kim's Convenience. Uh we loved it. We binged all four seasons last weekend. My landlords are an older funny Asian couple just like Appa and Uma. They always come to me for help with their English. Looking forward to seasons 5 and 6. Listen, I'm telling you, I am ashamed as a Canadian that I went so long without knowing about this show. And I finally got turned onto it and started watching Dennis, you know, Dennis Zen had, had, had talked about it for a while. I keep hearing him talk about like every once in a while, he would comment on stuff for me on, on uh, social media sneak attack. I'm like, what does that mean? Now I know what it means. Kim's convenience is one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying it's the same level as The Office or Parks and Rec, but it's – I'm telling you, it's close. It's absolutely brilliant, and I'm glad you guys got turned on to that, and I'm glad you're enjoying it. I love this show, and I cannot wait for the next season whenever it's coming. And by the way, of course – the big brother in the show, one of the leads of the show. He's your new Shang-Chi for the MCU. So if you want to get an early glimpse at him, go on to Netflix and watch uh, Kim's Convenience. Uh, Starscream writes again, Hello, John. The Combaticons weren't that dependable after all, but I'm sure my next plan will succeed. I watched a couple of episodes of Kim's Convenience, right back to Kim's Convenience, and it's hilarious. First episode had me hooked. Thanks for all the suggestions of great entertainment. And again, yeah, right from, right from the cold open scene of episode one, I was hooked. You know, most sitcoms have a cold open scene before they run the opening credits. The cold open scene of Kim's Convenience season one, episode one absolutely had me hooked. 15% discount only for the gay. You may have no idea what that means. Watch the show and you'll be hooked right away too. All right, next up, MD writes uh devil all the time that's the new tom holland film uh that's on i believe it's on netflix is getting mixed but leaning positive reviews 70 percent of rotten tomatoes with most highlighting tom holland and expressing that this will be a career defining uh defining for him makes me want to watch but i hear it's very gory slash violent which makes me nauseous i haven't heard anything about it yet myself rob I know you and I have talked about uh, Devil all the time. I was not impressed by the trailer, so I haven't really been excited to watch it. I don't know, though. Again, I haven't watched it yet. I don't know how any any movie can be a career-defining performance for an actor if the movie isn't all that well-liked. I think it needs a mixture. You have to be incredible in it, and the movie has to be well-received, but whatever. Have you had a chance to watch it yet? Have you had a chance to see this thing yet?
1: I have not. I have barely been out of here working, but it's definitely something this weekend. I'm going to catch up with it because I'm Mm -hmm. caught up with my work.
0: Right. All right. I, I, I think I will try to watch it myself as well. All right. Luke1234 writes, tech question, sort of, when you make large expensive purchases like TVs, cell phones, or even your Rodecaster Pro, uh, how long do you keep the box for? I ask because I have every phone I've owned still in their original box since 2004, Nokia brick phone. Good on you. I actually, you can't see it right now. If I, if I go to my, my wide shot here. So you see my Canadian flag. The, my Canadian flag that is this big piece. It's made out of reclaimed barn wood. So a barn was torn down. They took the wood from the the barn, the, the slats from the barn. They made it's gorgeous. I love this Canadian flag. But if it weren't for the fact that it was sitting on my Roadcaster Pro box. You probably wouldn't see it in picture right now <laughs> so yes i actually for my bigger stuff i don't know why my bigger stuff like when i say big i mean physically the size of it my Rodecaster craster pro my 32 inch monitor my like certain things like that for some reason i hold on to those boxes and i don't know why smaller stuff like i just bought the uh i have it here right now i just bought the uh the galaxy note 20 ultra i throw the boxes for these out right away and this thing was more expensive than my RodeCaster Pro, but I, I I throw the boxes for my uh, for my cell phones out immediately. But yeah, I d I don't know why I have that habit. Rob, I mean, not counting hot toys. Not <laughs> counting hot toys, which is a different thing. The boxes themselves are practically collect collectors uh, things. But oh yeah with with all the technology, what do you do you hold on to the boxes or do you get rid of them right away? How do you deal with that?
1: I look, I toss that stuff. I I really do because like look you buy a TV what are you gonna do with that box yeah how many times are you gonna move you know if you move you put towels around it or bubble wrap around it and you take it where you got to go I've really started to get to the point where I used to be a box hoarder and now I'm like I'm even at the point where I'm gonna when I first bought hot toys when I first started I didn't keep the box for any of my toys then I started keeping the boxes but now I'm leaning like why do I have all these I mean the boxes are cool but they're starting to take up more space than the figures themselves. And yeah. I'm like, I don't – I'm like, at the end of the day, you know, you have toys. You throw them away. I, they're not exactly – I do not buy hot toys for investment purposes. You, you get Even them to enjoy them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. All right, uh, Aaron. Almost, I going uh, to say,
1: John, I was just going to say having all your phones and the boxes they came in, that would kind of be cool because that's, that's they don't really take- cool. Yeah, and then you've got the evolution of that. I think that's kind of neat. You could have that. I would love to have that on, the, on a shelf somewhere.
0: I agree. I think that's a great thing to do. All right. Last question. We have time uh, with Rob here with us here because uh, he's got stuff he's got to go work on. Aaron Nonica writes, hi, John. Hope all is well. FYI, the trial of the Chicago 7 was originally going to get the theatrical release through Paramount, but made a deal with Netflix. Yep, yeah. uh, for $56 million, due to the pandemic. Love the show. Keep up the outstanding work and bring on the filthy. So, Rob. I don't, I don't think you and I had a chance to talk about uh, The Trial of Chicago 7, uh, the new Aaron Sorkin movie that he's directing. The first movie, he's uh, only his second feature film that he's directing, the first one he did was Molly's Game, which I think you and I both absolutely loved. I loved Molly's Game. I watched
1: it last night. I love it.
0: Oh, it's so good. I love that movie. Uh, really excited about it. But I said that my enthusiasm is, I mean, and look, you got Sasha Baron Cohen looks great in it. You got Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who looks great in it. It's a, good, it's a good trailer, man. It's a really good trailer. But I said, my enthusiasm is tempered a little bit because it's a Netflix film. And the reality is, while there have been some exceptions, Old Guard, The Irishman, like 8 out of 10, literally, I'm, I'm without hyperbole, I find 8 out of 10 Netflix original movies I end up not liking or being disappointed by. Now, you mentioned... That like other Netflix films, some other ne- other Netflix films, this one is originally going to be a Paramount film that was going to go theatrical, got sold off. That only makes it worse because both times, I believe this has happened twice with Paramount, both times has not worked out well. The first time that Paramount kind of at the last minute ditched off one of their theatrical movies, Rob, to to Netflix was that Cloverfield movie. Remember that? Yeah,
1: man. I
0: wanted to love that, too. That movie was all sorts of ass. That movie was all sorts of ass. I hated that movie. It was terrible. And it was like, oh, I guess why I they did it. I hated it, too. Then the last, I believe it was Paramount. I believe it was Paramount. So somebody correct me if I'm wrong in, in the live chat. But uh, Kumail Nagiani, who I love very much, they had that romantic comedy that he he just did. And then suddenly it got pushed off to and then i watched it and i'm like oh this it actually wasn't all that good it wasn't terrible not like the cloverfield right. movie but it wasn't actually all that good so to be honest with you finding out this is another film in the line of paramount ditching off their movies to netflix not a good track record with that but anyway rob you saw the trailer for for the trial of the chicago seven what did you think of the trailer and where's your hope level right now for the movie
1: well i'm a huge aaron sorkin fan and you know, like you said, I, we're on our show that we do when we re, Elizabeth and I review movies. We're doing Molly's Game tonight, and watching that movie back, his dialogue, even the editorial in that film, the editing is impeccable, and it, it's just the the pitter patter, the characterization. Idris Elba knocks it out of the park in Molly's Game, yeah. and so the combination of characters and performances. I'll watch anything that Sorkin's involved with only because, like, he classes up the joint. You know, he wrote, like, The American President. I love The American President. Of course, I love West Wing. And Sorkin script, The Social Network, man. I'll watch anything he's done. This is a passion project for his. I think it's going to be worth watching. Very excited.
0: All right. Uh, And Rob, I know you got stuff you got to do. Thanks for hanging out with us here today. We'll talk to you again soon. But in the meantime, my friend, where can people follow you and your great adventures online? And are you ready to tell people about that little project of yours? You want us to hold off on that for now?
1: Oh, no, I could. We could. T- I'll tell you about that. Oh, first of all, uh, over on my YouTube channel, The Brunette Work, where you can always find me on my show, Rob Observations, we are running the first intergalactic imagination connoisseurs film festival. Our final deadline is December 1st, and John Campia is officially one of our celebrity judges. What? Many more of which will be announced today on the show, and any Anything you want to make, it's got to be narrative, it's got to be completely original, so you can't use like a Beatles song in it, and it has to be a universal premiere, because this film festival is the first film festival that we are inviting any extraterrestrials, any non-Earth-dwelling beings to submit films to. I don't know if we're going to get any. But we are the first film festival to ever do this. So join us there. Also, you can find me on Instagram or you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. So join our festival and um, you'll be able to see start seeing films when they come in. And John's going to uh, be a, a, a judge for us.
0: I shall adjudicate. All right, Rob. Thanks a lot for being here, man. We'll talk to you again soon, my friend.
1: All right, man. I'll see you later.
0: Take care. All right, guys, we still got some time here left to get through some more of your questions. So let's keep right on rolling here. Next up, we've got uh, not Kevin Feige. I like that name. Not Kevin. or Is that the next one or did I skip one here? Nope. We're at it. Not Kevin Feige writes. Hey, John, you say Kevin Feige won't alter his plans by adding Fantastic Four and X-Men characters right away. But what about Kang? James Gunn confirmed on Twitter that Fox owned Kang prior to the merger. That was debunked, though. Don't forget that was debunked uh, prior to the merger. You think there were different plans for Ant-Man 3? So let's be clear about this. I never I'm not saying and I haven't said that Kevin Feige will not alter his plans. I've simply said that Kevin Feige said that he's not changing his plans. Right. I'm just telling you that Kevin Feige said that. And so far he's held to that. So far he's held to that. Doesn't mean he always will. He could change course, he could change mind. But when Fox got taken over by Disney and everybody was asking and everybody was claiming that the X Men were going to get thrown in right away, there were even, remember this guys, there were even a bunch of people when the pictures of uh, Thanos came out and Thanos had those three scars. There were literally, it was a big, people took it seriously. That that was proof Wolverine is going to be in Infinity War or Endgame or one of the two. Because look at the three scars. That clearly came from Wolverine's claws. Anyway, Kevin Feige came out around that time and said, look, we have a lot of properties on our desk. I've got the next five years planned out. We will look at incorporating all these new characters later. But we've got the next five years planned out. So Kevin Feige said, I guess I can take my headphones off now. Kevin Feige said uh, that that he would not be changing his plans. And I've just reminded people he said that the Kang thing. I believe like once James Gunn said that I believe other like other officials came out and either debunked it or qualified that by saying actually Marvel could have used him, but whatever at any rate, but listen, just because Kevin Feige said that doesn't mean that he can't change directions. He is Kevin Feige. It's his decision. So he could, but so far He has pretty much stuck to that. You know, a lot of people predicted we were going to have X-Men characters in the MCU already by now. And obviously we haven't. So he's kept true to that. So maybe he sticks to that. Maybe he doesn't. We'll have to wait and see as things transpire. But that's the thing about Hollywood, man. Think people's minds change. You can decide one thing one day, change your mind the next. So let's see what happens. All right. Uh, Butt Dog Bob's Gas Fart writes, "Uh, Personally, I don't think of the comic genre as really being a genre. There's just such a vast difference tonally between the films. Ant-Man is about as different from Doctor Strange as who framed Roger Rabbit is from, from Total Recall. I don't think I agree with that. Um, your thoughts? Well, listen, No, we've had the debate a thousand times, like over the years, going all the way back to AM, actually going all the way back to the movie blog. I remember having to write articles about is the comic genre a genre? Um, Then having debates on four-year consideration, then having debates on AMC movie talk, then having debates on Collider movie talk, and then having the discussion even more on the John Campion show. We've discussed this an awful lot. Is the comic book movie a genre? It really all depends on your on the semantics of it and how you're defining genre. Generally speaking, when people think of genre, they think of grouping, getting groups of films into certain types so that when you mention the genre, it automatically creates an association with the person listening. On that level, you can't argue that comic books aren't a genre because you mentioned comic book movie. Instantly, people associate a certain group of movies right away, just like if you say romantic comedy, period piece, drama, political thriller, thriller documentary, whatever. If people can instantly associate and identify movies just by the mentioning of the subgroup, then it kind of is a genre. However, you raise a good point that we've raised here on the show before, too. Right, You've got comic book movies, some are comedies, some are dramas, some are political thrillers, some are time travel romps, some are whatever, right? So they can be very different yet the same. But then somebody else brings up the point. Dramas can be very different from each other, too. But that doesn't mean that drama isn't a genre. So it all depends on the semantics of it and how you kind of choose to define it. I personally take the position that, yes, comic book movies is a genre. When you mention it as a genre, people instantly identify that group of films. So to me, it is. But you can make an argument that it isn't. And that argument is going to happen again. It's going to happen again, butt dog. All right. Uh, Chago Minion writes um saludos john and rob from the lovely island of puerto rico i hear puerto rico is surrounded by water big water anyway i just wanted to know uh seen the recent ryan reynolds commercials oh yeah we've talked about them one is bring back rick moranis out of retirement and Hugh jack coffee commercial both funny as hell your thoughts yes um the we've talked about the rick moranis thing We've talked about the, the Rick Moranis thing on, on here. And the Rick Moranis thing was absolutely brilliant. Uh, getting Rick Moranis to come out of retiring. Hey, I mean, he's Rick Moranis. He's a God. That was great. I have said this before. I will say it again. The fake Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman feud, which you would have thought would be boring and played out by now. And it's not. I have said before, and I will say again, the... Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman online feud is the greatest thing on the Internet today for the last couple of years. It is the single greatest thing on the Internet, no matter what the the little jabs they take at each other or <laughs> there was one Hugh Jackman just did. Oh, my God. Let me see if I can find it. Um, uh, give me a second. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it here. Oh my God, there it is. So there's this picture. Let me, let me bring it up. Um, <laughs> let me bring it up here. All right. So Hugh Jackman laying down in bed, right? And it just said the title of it is An Honest Glimpse Into a Day in My Life and him laying down in bed, right? And he, Ryan Reynolds... <laughs> Let me see if I can blow this up at all. Ryan Reynolds wrote a response to it that said, you sleep wearing a wig. I don't, I don't care. That's one of the funniest things in the world to me. To me, that is absolutely what the Hugh Jackman, the world needs Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. Somehow, some way, these guys have to do a movie together. I have made an argument before that they could do a, a face off reboot Reboot Face Off, but instead of Nick Cage and John Travolta, have it Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. Go. You're welcome. I just made your studio a billion dollars. Their feud is the greatest thing on the internet. It absolutely is. Alright. Uh, next thing up. Uh, Nick White writes, Um, Hey John, big fan since AMC Movie Talk. Thank you so much, Nick. If you haven't checked out The Last Black Man in San Francisco on Prime Video, it's a movie based around the themes of gentrification and Jonathan Majors. I totally forgot. I totally forgot. And actually the last black man in San Francisco was a movie. I was really late to the party on. I was really late to the party on I mean, I saw it like months and months and months after everybody else did. I was really late to that, but I totally forgot it's in there. And of course, if you're Jonathan majors, why is that name familiar? Jonathan majors. The reason that's coming up right now is because, and the reason Nick brings it up is because Jonathan majors is currently the star of Lovecraft country. He's the main guy in it. And of course we just talked about him the other day, uh, I believe it was Deadline revealed that he is going to be the major villain of Ant-Man 3, and they speculate, it's not fact, but they, they're saying that they have people telling them that he's going to play Kang the Conqueror, so that's why that's a big up on there now. Excellent recommendation, Nick. All right. K Major writes, My take on the epic trailer voiceover, particularly the inner world, where cat wears suits... I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, it lets me know that, hey, wow, there's a world that cats wear suits and not mine. Good to know. Um, so somebody brought up the other day. I don't know if this is what K-Major is referring to, but somebody brought, I think it might have been Willow brought it up the other day. Uh, about the, where, what happened to the big voiceover person? What happened to the inner world? Things in trailers, right? Now, I don't want to go into it too much because I actually touch on that in my new documentary, Um, that I'm now done I got a few little technical things to work on A few little audio issues here and there But, but basically, my documentary Movie Trailers, A Love Story That's the name of my documentary Movie Trailers, A Love Story uh, It is now done And uh, I'm stoked about it I just actually submitted it To some film festivals Now, here's the problem Little Inside Baseball The problem is I submitted them to significant film festivals, which means the likelihood of my movie getting accepted, like I submitted to the Maui Film Festival, the Santa Monica International Film Festival, uh, the Studio City International Film Festival, the Portland International. Like I, I, I submitted my movie to all festivals that are in the gold top 50 film festivals in the world which means the likelihood of my documentary getting accepted into any of them are probably very small but still i'm excited that i was able to submit to these festivals yes i even submitted it to sundance my chances of getting into sundance somewhere around here but uh, i'll just be thrilled if i can get into any festival to be honest with you but in that documentary, which I just shamelessly plugged for the last 90 seconds, uh, there is a part in the documentary where we do specifically talk about the inner world, uh, particularly the great Don Fontaine and what happened to it where did it go why did it go stuff like that so we touch on that in the documentary so i don't want to spoil anything anyway thanks for giving me the opportunity to shamelessly plug my documentary k major i appreciate that all right k major also writes finally saw once upon a time in hollywood holy crap the last ten the last 10 minutes of once upon a time in hollywood were like 10 of my favorite minutes in any movie that year the ending of once upon a time in hollywood is bonkers amazing just absolutely bonkers amazing anyway uh holy crap the last 10 minutes but for me the best thing about the movie was the friendship between leo and brad it, that was terrific their chemistry on screen together was fantastic i bought it especially at the end when he's telling um uh, when he when he telling he's a good friend warm my heart uh everyone needs a uh brandy uh, uh, she was my third favorite character in that movie one thing confused me what was the point of Margot Robbie's character I always glad to see her if you know what I mean though listen that was my big thing at the end of the day and I went to go see I think like three times I think I went to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood three times it is not my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie actually I put it in the bottom half of Quentin Tarantino movies Uh, still most of the films in the bottom half of Quentin Tarantino movies are still really good I would put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in the bottom half of Quentin Tarantino's films but one of my biggest problems was, ultimately, Margot Robbie's character was a total waste of time. I get it. Oh, I get it. And some people, judge you just don't get it. No, I get it. I get they were setting us up for what happens at the end. But two minutes would have sufficed to set everybody up for what comes at the end not the 20 minutes or how much, however much screen time Margot Robbie's character had. It was totally wasted. Like, There's this entire sequence in, in the movie where she's walking around town. She goes into a movie theater to watch one of her movies. It keeps coming back to her watching and laughing at her own film with her feet up and blah, blah. Ultimately, that whole stuff served no purpose to the movie. No, John, you just don't get it. They were, no, 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 no. I get what it was, they were trying to do, but it didn't work. And it was a waste of screen time. And it was frustrating. and But whatever. But yeah, the Leo and Brad stuff. And and I agree. Margot Robbie is a national treasure. She is stupid talented. Like she's been nominated for Oscars before her career is done. She's going to have gold statues on her mantle. She's that good. But I thought that was a waste. Uh, anyway, that's just me. But yeah, the Leo Brad stuff was incredible. And the last 10 minutes. Are you effing kidding me? The last 10 minutes were gold. All right. Next up, Chris Cortezzi writes Do you think that Christopher Nolan messing with the audio And making it so you can't hear what uh, What they're saying uh, Is doing this on purpose so people have to Go and see it again and paying again to make More money at the box office alright well the First thing that I should mention is this What is very clear um, About Tenet when you watch it Is that there are a couple Of scenes Where you can tell they Christopher Nolan purposefully doesn't want the audience to understand what's being said. I'm not going to give anything away, but there are a couple of scenes where it's obvious that Christopher Nolan, that we as the audience are not meant to be able to understand what the other guy is saying because we find out a little bit later and it has a narrative and dramatic impact. But there are also many scenes in the movie where we are supposed to be able to understand what's being said. is Does Christopher Nolan do that on purpose to get people to go back to the theme? No, I don't think Christopher Nolan does it on purpose. At least not for that purpose. No, I so I, I don't believe that at all. All right, next up. Uh, Toba 70 writes, Hey, John, I saw Devil All the Time Today. Somebody else was mentioning that. I like it a lot, especially Tom Holland's performance. So different from his other movies. The movie was shot in 35 millimeter. is really visually beautiful. Have you seen it in your thoughts? I have not watched it yet. I... I The trailer didn't work for me. I'll be honest with you. The trailer did not excite me. Uh, I thought the the trailer was rather bland and cookie cutter. And I've seen every element in that trailer I've seen in other trailers. And that's fine. There are are other trailers that I've seen that are completely not original at all. And yet I love them. So I, I don't know. I can't quantify why I didn't really like the trailer that much. But I love everybody. Robert Pattinson, Tom Holland. I mean, so yeah. The trailer didn't really do much for me. I will watch it. I will watch it because it is Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson. I am excited for it. I will check it out at some point. But no, I have uh, I have unfortunately not seen it yet. I have not seen it yet. But I'm glad you enjoyed it, Toba. Okay, next up. Uh, better uh, usernames available rights. John, you're telling me Nolan's films have sound issues? I just watched Inception at Home with a soundbar. Characters talking with soundbar on level four. Then action kicks in and it's like the loudest jump scare ever. A little fed up with having to tweak the volume. Again, this is unfortunately Chris, Chris Nolan, who is one of the greatest directors of our generation. There's no doubt about it. He's one of the greatest directors working today. But one of the more frequent, constant criticisms that we see leveled at his films is his sound mix is often very much questionable. And he may want to do it for dramatic effect here and there, but at the bottom, of the, at the end of the day, The bottom line is it's just really irritating to a lot of people sometimes. And by the way, that doesn't change the fact that he's like one of the greatest in the business. He is. But I do hope that he's after all the feedback that he's hearing on Tenet. I really hope he decides to really start paying attention to Samickson. And by the way, not just paying attention to it, but bringing in somebody else to say, yeah, Chris, this isn't. This needs to be higher. This needs to be lower. I, I really hope he does start taking um, other input on that. Uh, better usernames available. Also writes. So I've just discovered the boys. Hot damn. Uh, Don't like it. I don't like too much blood and guts. And it looked a little knock, uh, a little knock of superhero at first. The thought, screw it. And I binged every episode from the start up to the latest episode. And I'm addicted. What a strange, weird, but awesome show. I'm telling you what, better usernames. We live in a glorious. If you like comic book material on TV or like superhero material, we live in a glorious time. There are three shows in particular, all running right now, that are all utterly fantastic, and they're all completely different from each other. Umbrella Academy, in no particular order, Umbrella Academy, The Boys, Doom Patrol. These are three special shows. And they're completely different from each other. And they're all wild, wild and bonkers. And they all go well beyond, like, thematically and, and and themes. They go well beyond the traditional superhero tropes to being actually deep and meaningful. And they're fantastic. And I'm glad you got on the boys. If you haven't checked out Doom Patrol or Umbrella Academy, I highly recommend you check those ones out, too. It is a good time to be a fan of uh, – uh, it is a good time to be a fan of – of this type of material. It is absolutely a good time to be a fan of this type of material. Okay, let's move on here. Uh, do. do, 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 do. Uh, Sharan Aurora writes. Ha! Denver exposed those damn frauds in the Clippers. Oh, I saw that today. I I, I was I was busy last night binging Ted Lasso. Like I was only going to watch one episode a bit of Ted Lasso. And I just ended up absolutely binging it. Couldn't stop watching it. So I didn't. I woke up this morning like, God, I totally forgot to check in on the Clippers score. Denver explode, exposed those frauds to Clippers. I'm so happy the media have to eat crow after I anointed them the champs. Kawhi doesn't compare to LeBron. And I never want to hear it again. Now that I got out of the way. How you doing, John? I'm doing great. And listen, everybody. I remember at the beginning of the year, everybody laughed at me. Because as much as I love Kawhi, and especially appreciate what he did with the Toronto Raptors last year, leading the Raptors to to the NBA championship, when Kawhi left, every I got in these arguments with everybody. Everybody was right saying Toronto won't even make the playoffs next year. Toronto not make. They're going to be terrible next year without Kawhi. They're nothing. Well, guess what? Without Kawhi they were still one of the best teams in the league. And guess what? They went just as far in the playoffs, game seven of round two, as Kawhi did with his new team, game seven of round two. Without Kawhi, they went just as far as Kawhi did with his new team. Now, that's not for me to say Kawhi isn't great. Kawhi is great. Kawhi Leonard is great. Make no mistake about it. But my point was, People thought that Toronto was all about Kawhi. It wasn't. They have great talent. They built a great team. And they got got two minutes away from going to the Eastern Conference Finals without Kawhi. So that was the thing. And yes, LeBron is still the best in the world. LeBron is still the best in the world. All right. Chris Daniels writes, are studios expecting theaters to stay open with no revenue? Uh, they keep delaying movies like there's no worry about theaters surviving. Hey, listen, this again, this is one of those things where you got to understand where everybody's coming from. It is a very, very unique situation. It is a situation to which we have never had um, any precedence for this before. We've never had any precedence for stuff like this before. And. Every move, like all the studios are trying their best other than maybe universal, but Warner Brothers, Disney, uh, even Paramount, they're all trying their best to get the movies, their movies out. But there are certain realities. It's listen, the theaters, all the theaters are in trouble. And if the theaters are, tr- are in trouble, the movie industry is in trouble because all the money in the the real money in the movie industry is made in theaters. So if the theaters are in trouble, the movie industry is in trouble. Everything's, oh no, we'll just not put it on streaming. no, Streaming doesn't make shit compared to the movie theaters. Doesn't make shit compared to the movie theaters. The th- the studios all know this. The studios know it. You don't think that freaking um uh, what's his name? Uh, the the Disney film they just dropped online about the kid thief. I can't I can't even remember the name of it now. You don't think that would have made more money in theaters? Of course it would have made more money in theaters. You don't think Mulan would have done better for them in theaters? Of course it would have done better for them in theaters. Uh, you know, pandemic notwithstanding, but theaters are trouble, and that means the movie industry is in trouble. But again, I don't blame any of the studios right now because. It's a tough situation. What's the right thing to do? They're trying to figure it out. The theaters are trying to figure it out. The studios are trying to figure it out. There's no game map for this. It's, it's, a, it's a tough, tough situation for everybody. All right. Final question of the day, guys. Uh, and then we'll have to pick up tomorrow. Alfredo Para writes hey John just got YouTube premium and I'm really liking it I enjoy I, I have YouTube premium myself as well uh, how does this affect your show's ad revenue since I no longer have ads curious because I want to keep supporting the channel thanks so what happens is and I don't know exactly how this works but this is the basic premise of it YouTube knows how many people watch my videos that have YouTube premium and then they kick back to me a certain percentage of your YouTube premium subscription fee, they kick my way. So like if a thousand people who have YouTube premium watch my show, they don't get any ads, but YouTube will then send me revenue proportionate to the number of people who have YouTube premium that watch my show. So I still, so even though you have, you have, um, YouTube premium, and I get no ad revenue from you, you watching my show actually still does get me revenue from YouTube. YouTube gives me a bit of that uh, YouTube premium revenue that you pay for them. So It still works out for me. But thank you for asking, man. I appreciate that. Okay, listen. Uh, Upset Cutie Robert, uh, Gary, and James, do not worry. We're going to start off tomorrow's show, the Live Questions Partners tomorrow's show, with your questions. We're not forgetting your questions. We're not abandoning them. Yours will be first up tomorrow. We've just run out of time for now. And uh, that is... All the time we have for today, guys. Thank you so much for being here, guys, and for making the John Campbell Show a part of your day. You guys can be doing anything, but you chose to spend part of your day with us, and we are very honored that you would do that. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett, and a special thank you to all you guys who did send in those live questions for two reasons. Number one, You gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here, thank you very much for that. That will do it for me for now, guys. Remember to do the four important things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. My name is John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.